All right, uh, let's open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into God's word. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that whenever we open it, Lord, we stand on truth. Uh, all around us, there are voices screaming for our attention. But Father, your still small voice is the one we want to hear. We want to hear it right now. We don't want to hear my voice. Uh, we trust these things that you have laid on my heart. Father, the things that you once said, what you don't, Lord, I pray that you will eliminate. But Father, we, each and every one of us, we, we need the true word. And so speak to us. Let your spirit resonate with your truth, Lord. In thy name we pray. Amen. Many of you will remember back in the 1990s, during the Winter Olympics, there was a, there was a speed skater. His name was uh, Dan Jensen, and he was at the, the, the peak of his career, career. He went into those Winter Olympics heavily favored to win multiple gold medals. Um, you know, again, even though he was heavily favored, uh, he was, you know, not necessarily guaranteed that he was going to get those medals. Matter of fact, as his Olympics unfold, unfolded, everything seemed to go wrong. He came, and during his first races, he was sick, and so he didn't even qualify for the finals. One of the qualifying races, he fell on a corner and didn't make the finals. And then right in the middle of his Olympics, the worst of all blows came to him. His handicapped sister back in the States suddenly died, and it seemed to take all the wind out of, out of his sail, all of the life out of him. I mean, you think about all of those hours of training, all of those weeks, all of those years that he gave himself to speed skating, all for this moment, and no gold medal. But Dan Jensen never gave up. He trained for four more years, and even though he was past his prime, he qualified for the following Winter Olympics. Now, if you follow the sport at all, you remember that Dan Jensen finally did win his gold medal at the next Olympics, even though, you know, he, he, he wasn't at the peak of his physical condition. Because of all of those trials, because of all of those setbacks, because of all of that hard work that had gone in to that moment when he was going to get his gold medal, I can still remember the, the chills getting during the medal ceremony as that flag is being hoisted and he is standing on the podium and the national anthem is playing and he is just breaking down in tears because all that he had put in for, for that moment, you know, the peak of his sport and he had finished his course, he'd run his race and he received his reward. You know, I wonder sometimes if heaven is going to be like that. I mean, think of all of the frustrations that we have on this side of eternity. All of the heartache, all of the pain, the suffering. There's good things, but there's so much pain. There's so much sin. There's so much wrong. I just wonder, though, after all of that that we have gone through, to get to that moment, to stand before God, to stand in the glory of Jesus Christ at that moment, what will it be like when all these things are past? 
Now, also back in the 1990s, I ran, some of you know I, I used to run quite a bit, I ran my first marathon back in the 1990s, 26.2 miles. I had never done anything even close to that before. I'd done uh, shorter races, and back then they used to time me with a, stipo- a stopwatch. Uh, now they time me with a calendar, so <laughs> things have changed just a little bit for me. A marathon is, is a race, and I've shared this before, a, a marathon is a race like no other race. Because on your everyday marathons, if it's not an Olympics or something like that, but for all of the marathons that are going around the country, it is not a race for position. It's not a race to get first or second place. But it's a race against the course. And 99.9% of the people that run that race, it's a race with themselves. You know, that's where the battle is. And I remember that first marathon. As it started, I was, I was feeling pretty good over the first four or five miles. I'd, I'd kind of trained that far. So I was feeling good. Well, then we, we began to hit some hills. And I could feel more strain on my legs, you know, laboring in my breathing. An hour or so later, uh, the temperatures began to rise. Miles were getting harder. The miles were getting slower. But with each step I took, that finish of the marathon was, was that much closer. And I, I remember being told around mile 20, and, th- and this happened in that race, around mile 20, I was really hurting. And I began to come up on people who were quitting, stopping. They were turning back, you know, and, and your mind begins to play games with you. I've done enough. I've done more than anybody else on this Saturday. I could have slept in, you know. I could be home, you know, eating donuts right now. But I'm out here running. I've done one, none enough. Why finish and begin to have the, the mental battle? But I will never forget the last quarter mile of that marathon. We, we finished at the local high school. So as you were running, you suddenly turned in in the last quarter mile. You did around the track in, in this big stadium. And I remember turning into that stadium, and there were people everywhere. And as I began to run that final lap, other runners, runners who I didn't even know, I didn't know their names, runners who had already finished, they had lined the infield, and they were cheering. They were cheering for me. They were, they were cheering for the others that were still running. They shouted all sorts of encouragement. You know, you can do it. You've got a short distance to go. Don't give up. Finish the course. So when I crossed that finish line, folks, I had won. I had won. And I joined a multitude of other runners that went into the infield to cheer on those others who were still out there running a race for themselves, not for time necessarily, not for position, but to do their very best. I cheered because I knew what they were going through. And in part, that's how I picture the start of eternity for Christians. That's how I picture the very beginning of heaven is going to be for you if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, that it's going to be for me. I, I picture it like that. Hebrews 12.1 says this, He says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
and to run that race and to run it faithfully, to run it with endurance, to come to the end, to come to the finish line, the start of eternity. I just, I, I, I got to think that God gives us just a little bit of taste in it for someone able to finish a marathon. Let me ask you this. Do you, do you look forward to finishing your race here on earth and entering eternity? Do you look forward to that? Folks, when I pull into eternity, I want to drag in like an old war horse coming in off of his final battle. I want to enter eternity beaten and bruised for Christ. I don't want to come in as a horse that's been kind of out for pastor, you know, for for years, not doing anything for Christ. So this morning, since we we had, again, an opportunity for some standalone sermons, this morning I want to focus on how we live our faith in Christ and how we live it today, how that will affect our eternity and that moment when we stand before Christ. I want to focus on that moment that we pass from this life to the afterlife. What is going to be taking place? What, what's going to happen at that moment? And, and as I'm talking here, I'm not going to be talking about, you know, what you determine, you, what we do on this life to determine that we're in eternity. I'm not going to necessarily be talking about how to become a Christian. I'm going to talk to us, I'm going to talk to you that know Christ, that already have faith. I want to talk to you about how we are living our faith today. Well, let's start. Um, you have probably heard the term bima, B-E-M-A. It's a Greek word used to describe a place of judgment. It's a place of authority. It's a place of reward. Um, when someone was taken to court, they were brought before the bima. It meant judgment. As a matter of fact, we'll put a picture of, of this up here. Uh, in the ruins of Corinth, there is a marble platform that was found, still visible, um, believed to be the place that Paul stood before Galileo in Acts chapter 8 to be judged on whether he was proclaiming to people you know, to worship gods that are contrary to the law. It was a place of judgment. So they understood what the bema seat was, the, the judgment seat, and we kind of get a picture of what that is too. And using that picture, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds or receive what they deserve. That's what recompense means. For his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now there's two things I want to point out from that verse here. Number one, it says each one will be recompensed or each one will receive. So this is clearly indicating that we're going to get something. Something tangible. Something is going to, to happen when we get to eternity. Those first, you know, that first moment. And the second thing I want to point out is that term, things done in the body. That thing which we are going to get, that I'm going to receive at the Bema, it is based on what we did while we were alive, while we were in the body, in this physical skin, you know, while we were here on earth. To the Christians at Rome, Paul said in Romans 14, he says, but you, why do you judge your brothers? Or, or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? 
for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, the bema seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Scripture is very, very clear that at the very beginning of eternity for a Christian, there's a very, very special time. And, and we use the word judgment, and we usually use that as a negative thing. But there's going to be a judgment there to determine our rewards, to determine something we are going to get based on what we have done in the body. We say, well, what does that mean that all Christians will give an account before God? Probably the best picture of how we're going to give account and what's that based on probably could be found for us in, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. I'm going to ask you, there. we're going to eventually put some of those verses up there, but I'm going to ask you to turn there with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. <coughs> Excuse me, let, me, let me read through those verses, and then we'll kind of jump back and work verse by verse on them. It says in verse 11, 1 Corinthians 3, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to, for it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's works which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire. Well, let, let's kind of work back through this and, and, and take it in little chunks, understand that. Verse 11, it says this. We'll put this up there. It says, For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid which is Jesus Christ. So just like a house is built on a foundation, a Christian has been given a tremendous foundation in Jesus Christ. His works on the cross is that foundation. The, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the atonement for our sin. This, that foundation, that Christ's work on the cross gave you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And it's upon that foundation that Christ has given you, that, that forgiveness that he's given you, that grace and mercy that he's given you, that, you know, that's your foundation. That's your starting place. And we have been given this, this perfect foundation. Now, I've, I've, I've done, you know, a lot of construction in my days, and, and boy, if you don't have a good foundation, the, the building's going to be a mess. But he makes it very clear from the very starts that it is God himself who has given us this perfect foundation. Verse 12 says, Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. I want, I want you to notice here, the foundation that we have been given, it is the same for all Christians. Because I'm a pastor, I have not been given a better foundation than you have. You have the exact same foundation I have. We all have that same foundation. Jesus Christ is that foundation. His works on the cross is where we, each and every one of us starts. But while our foundations are all the same, if you're a Christian, the choice of what we build on our foundation 
is ours. What I choose to do with my faith, what I choose to do with what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, that's my, that's my choice. And, and you can kind of tell as you read verse 12, there, there, there's a real emphasis on the value of the materials that we use. It goes all the way from gold, you know, all the way to straw. They, they kind of diminish in value. So we have a choice. I can put precious things on. I can put valuable things on. Or, you know, I can put things that aren't worth very much on that, that foundation. That, that's my choice. That's your choice if you're a Christian. Verse 13. It says, Then each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Now, although the, the, the word bima, you know, in the Greek is not used here, it's obvious that this is referring to a, a time when, you know, God is going to look at what we did with our faith. What did we do with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? What, we, what did we do with him calling us into his kingdom and making us a child of his? What did we do with, with that foundation? You know, and this, 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 this time that we have, it, it, it says it's going to be tested. We are going to be tested at, at what we do. It's going to become evident. Or, you know, when we stand before God, it's going to be revealed what we did. So this test, this, this judgment, it says it will be on the quality of the work that was done. On the quality, what was built on the foundation. And again, go back to, you know, the diminishing materials, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. It's your choice. It's my choice. It's my choice this afternoon what I'm going to do. Tomorrow morning, it's my choice. My choice in the afternoon, my choice in the evening, all week. It is my choice that what am I going to do with the foundation of Jesus Christ and what I'm going to be building upon this. But know something. Though the choice is mine, the test is God's. And it is going to test the quality of what we put on Jesus Christ, what we built upon him. And, and I want you to notice something, something that's not being tested here. It doesn't say that you are being tested as a Christian. It doesn't say you're being tested. It doesn't say your beliefs are being tested. It doesn't say where you spend eternity is being determined here. What's being tested? Your works. Makes it very, very clear. What you have done, you know, with your, your service in Christ. And we're not just talking about in the church and things that you've done and, you know, stepping up and being part of the ministry. It's not just talking about that. That's all part of it. But, but it's talking about, you know, what you really have done with your faith. You know, what have you done with God's son who has died for you and given his life for you and given you hope and meaning and purpose? What have you done with that in your life? So our works, the materials in which we have placed upon that are going to be tested. And again, they're likened unto six different materials. You know, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and, and straw. And all these works, make no mistake, all these works, whatever I've done for Christ, it says it's going to be tested by fire. Now that's a, a, that's a, a picture here of, that they don't understand very much. We might not understand it too much. But back then, fire was used to, to burn out the, the impurities in something. You know, you would take gold as it would be in mind. It's probably still being done today, I would guess. 
that the, you know, that it would be severely heated and all the impurities are burned out of the gold or the silver. You know, fire has the, the process of eliminating, you know, these bad things. And interestingly enough, you know, gold and silver, you think about it, putting to the fire, it makes it greater. It makes it more pure. But if you put, you know, wood, hay, and straw, if you put that to the fire, what happens? You know, there's nothing left. Verse 14. If any man's works which he has built on, it remains, he will receive a reward. So when you take out everything that I have done, everything that you have done for selfish reasons or just because it was your habit or you did it begrudgingly, you know, I went to church but just because it's habit or oh, just because my husband made me or my wife made me or my parents made me, take out all of those things, you know, that we did for the wrong attitudes, you know, the, the wrong heart, you know, the, those are kind of the wood, hay, stubble type things. Those things all get burned up. But what will be left is the pure works that I've done for Christ. And those will be rewarded for you. And to seemingly make it clear that we're not talking about a person's salvation, we're not talking about earning you know, the right to be in heaven or earning God's favor here. It says in verse 15, if any man's works is burned up, in other words, you know, the wood, hay, stubble, you're going to suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through the fire. I mean, he makes it very clear. We're not talking salvation here. We're talking about something that we're to put, be looking towards when we enter eternity. So I want to focus uh, for a moment on the word quality. It talks about the quality of our works. Um, you know, uh, the question is, are we just left to guess how to build on the foundation of Christ, gold, silver, precious stones, you know, knowing that that is quality? Are we left, left to just guess that? Do we just leave it to chance and wait and see? How do I know what I'm doing is of a quality? It's not just what you do, but the quality in which you do it. Well, there are many places in Scripture that speak to how we're to go about living our life for Christ, how we build on that foundation. I want to give you three tests this morning to your works, to what you are doing for Christ, or what you should be doing for Christ. Three tests that you can put in, and there may be others, but these are just the three uh, that God has laid upon my heart today. Test number one, to, to tell whether what I am doing is of quality, gold, silver, precious stones, or is it wood, hay, or stubble. Okay, test number one is the test of relationship. The test of relationship. It might relieve you to know that a life that God rewards is not about performance apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, just the opposite is true. If we do something outside of Christ, outside of the name of Christ, you know, it's, it's very obvious that it will not receive a reward. In John chapter 15, verse 5, it says, I am the vine, Christ is speaking. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the first thing of, of, my, of my works, you know, whether I'm teaching a Sunday school class, whether I'm sitting on a committee, whether I'm coming here to change light bulbs at the church or mow the grass or reaching out to my neighbor to share Christ with them or going on to help a widow, you know, do some yard work or something, whatever it might be, 
The first test is, am I doing it out of my relationship with God or just, I'm a good person? You know, I want to, you know, people like it and, and, and tell me what a great person I am when I do these things. For the quality to be there, it needs to be connected to Christ. You can do the right thing for the wrong reasons, but we want Christ to be our foundation. We want Christ to be our motivator of why I go across the street and I would minister to my neighbor. So the first test is the test of relationship. How are you do, doing this because of your faith, your relationship with Christ? The second test is the test of motive. Why are we doing something? Why are we doing something? I, again, because I'm going to be there um, for a little bit. Go back to Matthew chapter 6 if you'd like. <coughs> Matthew chapter 6. In, in verse 1, <coughs> Christ is speaking in the Sermon of the Mount. <coughs> he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. In other words, there are some very good, righteous acts, very spiritual acts that you and I can do. But if I'm not doing it for the right reason, it, it, it means nothing. He goes on in verse 2. says, so when you give to the poor, do not sound the trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. So when you pray, you're talking to God. You're talking, you know, in Jesus' name, you're speaking to him. I'm worried about everybody else out here. I'm not worrying about what they think about me. That, oh, he's so godly, you know. Oh, he just knows how to weave scripture in and out of his prayer. And, you know, his prayers make so much sense. God's looking at the heart of it. Are we doing it to be worrying about this out here? Or are we doing it worrying about this in here? Our motive. He goes on in, in verse 5. Or excuse me, that, I'm sorry, that was our giving that he said in verse 2. In verse 5 he talks about our prayer. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand, pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so they might be seen of men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. So whether we're praying, whether we're giving, whatever it might be, if I am concerned about people seeing me and acknowledging it, you know, thinking better of me, good of me because of it. You know, I, I've received a reward here on earth, but there's nothing for me in heaven. Another spiritual act, he talks about fasting, verse 16. It says, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face, as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. And kind of summarizing all of this, Christ says down in verse 19, he says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. In other words, appealing to men to be seen by men. Don't store up for treasures where men think you're such a great person, you've done so many good things, and your reputation is just growing. That's storing up treasures for heaven, where moths and, or excuse me, for on earth, where moths and rust will destroy, where thieves break in and steal. It says, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Our prayers are to God who hears the heart, who sees the heart. Our giving is to God. doesn't matter if anyone knows or anybody sees. That's why the right hand shouldn't know what the left hand is doing in the giving so that we don't have that temptation, you know, as Ananias and Sapphira, to think, oh, what a great thing that I am doing in, in, in giving to God. 
It's between you and God. It's a heart issue. Then finally in verse 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the question is, is our treasure to receive from God or is our treasure to receive from men? Is it so important to me what you think about me? And think about, you know, my spirituality versus what God thinks and what I do for him. So we have the test of our motive. Why are we doing something? And finally, the third test is the test of love. The test of love. Let me give you a couple verses here. Luke chapter 6, verse 35 says, But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. And catch this part. For he himself, talking about God, the Most High, is kind to ungrateful and evil men. In other words, you know, I don't have to always worry that, you know, I'm being taken or, you know, this, these, this going out of my way to pick something, somebody up, a, a child to bring them to, to uh, the children's ministry or to bring someone to church that, you know, that they're, you know, going to be able to, you know, you know, see me and acknowledge me. What's important is I'm doing it out of love. I'm doing it out of love for the Lord. I don't have to. They don't have to be grateful to me. God says I do stuff for ungrateful and evil men. And he's our example that he sets for us. In 1 Corinthians 13, 3, it says, If I give all my possessions to the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. There's no reward there. It profits me nothing. Love. Love is the key. So we have those three tests. Um, I, I want to go back as we close here. I want to go back to 1 Corinthians 3.15. And we'll put that verse up for, uh, for us there. It says, If any man's works is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved yet as through the fire. I want to talk about suffering loss. What does, that, what, what does it mean for you as a Christian that someday you're going to stand before God and there is a chance that you are going to suffer loss? Well, what it means is that you could have had, of what could have been yours, won't be. What could have been yours, if things had been different, if I had lived different, if I had built different, if I had had my motives right, if, I, you know, my, my, my heart right, if I had had love in the things that I'd done, those things, it would have been different. But because it wasn't, I'm not going to get something that God wanted for me. I imagine today that some who are Christians are just puttering around on their foundation. Two by four here, you know, a little work over here, maybe put a window in once in a while. Other times we may be working but not connecting our work with our faith in Christ with, with love and with the right motive. You see, God wants, the point I want you to get, God wants so much for us. He wants us to receive the full reward that he wants to give us. He wants to, us to be constantly building on our foundations, putting new wings on, you know, remodeling, sprucing it up, looking at it, always working on that, that foundation. 
Now, I can't back this up scripturally, um, but there are a lot of indications that, you know, to each person, God says he gives spiritual gifts. And it, it's very evident that some people, you know, their gifts are great. I mean, you look at the Apostle Paul and, and what he did as a missionary and his evangelism and all of his gifts. And you might, you know, you might look at yourself and you say, oh, I, don't, I don't have those abilities. That's okay. God is more concerned with you that you are filled to the fullest. Not that you're as much as the next person. I mean, I've said it before. God is more, is happier with a 10-gallon Christian who's filled to overflowing than a 100-gallon Christian who's, you know, only at 50 gallons. I mean, there's, there's a lot of scripture that, that backs this up, that gives us indication. It says, to whom much is given, much is expected. God tells us, you know, that we're going to be judged according to the light we received. You look at the example of the widow's might. It wasn't about the amount that she gave. It was the level of the sacrifice that she made. And so no matter who you are, my concern isn't, again, my race isn't against you. My race is with myself. To be all that Jesus Christ has called me to be, to be all that he, he died to give me, to make me. And so I, I, I guess as we're closing the service, you know, I ask myself, you know, what do I want, what does God want out of this? I just want to ask, would you, would you ask God to leave you, or lead you in receiving your full reward? Are you willing to open yourself up to becoming all that you were meant to be in Jesus Christ? To realize that God has saved you for a reason. And your reason in the kingdom, it might be different than my reason, what he has done, but, but the important part is that I seek that, what God wants of me, what God wants me to be involved in, the work in his kingdom. Can we get back to that? You know, my greatest concerns uh, during this COVID-19 time is, is that, you know, the, the ability for Christians to minister has changed. I mean, when we have the church open, we have the ministries open, we have, you know, nursery and children's church, and we have the Wednesday evening programs and youth group and Sunday school, all these sorts of things. There's much more opportunity. But because maybe those opportunities aren't there as much, my concern is that part of your Christian faith is service. What are you doing for Christ? What are you doing this week for Christ? What are you building on that foundation this week for Christ? You may have to be creative. It may look a little bit different than it did, you know, six months ago. But God has still called us to build on our foundation. And, and from this, I just want you to open yourself up to that. God, what do you want me to be doing right now? How can I make a difference for your kingdom? How can I be your hands and feet today? And I'm just asking to just ask him that. I'm not going to tell you what. Again, each one of you, you know, have received differently. And what's important is that you're following what God has given you. So as we go to prayer here, I, I want to give you just a few moments to just quietly pray, if you would. And if you're willing to ask the Lord that question, God, what is it you want me to do? You know, wh what can I do this week? Let's go ahead and pray.
Lord God, I thank you that you, know, you have chosen us to be your children, those who have given their hearts to you, those of, that, that have come to you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we are yours because you have moved in our heart to bring us to you. God, you've reminded us so often, you've reminded us today that that is not the finish line, but that's the starting line of a life to serve you and eternity to worship you. I ask you to speak to my heart. Speak, speak to my brothers and sisters in Christ here, whatever age they are. God, lay upon our heart what you would have us to be doing for your kingdom. I just thank you, Father, for the privilege of serving that which is eternal, that which will not fade away. And help me, Lord, to be willing take that step of faith in whatever answer it is that you give me. Thank you, Lord. In thy son's name we pray.